Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,377. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Well, I'm across the pond again today in Clifton in the United Kingdom with a very special guest by the name of Tim Sylvie. Tim, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am indeed, Mark. Let's go. All right. We're going to have some fun now. I'm working with a pro today, fellow podcaster, a guy who's been doing this for a long time. So I expect the best from you, Tim. No doubt that's what I'm going to get. And before I introduce you in a more proper way, what's one little thing that people don't know about Tim Sylvie. Well, I was listening to one of your previous shows, your recent shows uh, earlier today, and the guy who I think it was your last show, he he said that he ha- he could sing. I think that was his thing. He was like, <laughs> yeah. I I can sing. No one knows I can sing. So I I've got a similar thing. I can also sing, which not many of my friends will know. But it's it goes beyond that. I've got an album on iTunes which has been there for years and years and years and years, really? and no one will ever find it <laughs> it sounds really cool but it's not at all it's a choir boy album from when i was in a, a quite a well-known choir in the uk and um, and we sung all over the world we sung for um the queen mother when she was still alive we sung for the queen we sung in all sorts of um royal residences and f- films and tvs all sorts of stuff so that would probably be my my non-motorsport or automotive related thing wow that's very cool well i i sang in church choir when i was a kid and then puberty hit and it all went to hell uh yeah, he blew happens. all the blew all the uh pistons right out of the top of the engine <laughs> and that was the end of it so yeah well that's very cool well now people will start digging into the past and see if they can I'll never find, find it tim no, Silby. nope <laughs> long gone well you know i had a, a fellow brit on the show a racer who the day i interviewed him uh was his birthday and he sang the british birthday song you're probably familiar with that it's a little bit self-deprecating, I think. Uh, are you familiar with that song? The the British birthday song. Yeah, it's like a British birthday song. I'm gonna I'm gonna deny all knowledge of that so that I don't have to sing it. Okay, there we go. <laughs> you're a smart guy. All right. <laughs> Very cool. Well, let me give you an introduction here. Tim Sylvie has worked for over 18 years in Formula One and more recently, Formula E on the sponsorship side. He worked with Toyota, Panasonic Racing in 2005 and 07 and 09 with ING Bank on their multi-million dollar sponsorship of the Renault F1 team. Tim was a consultant at the Yas Marina Circuit as part of the original venue management team to deliver the first F1 race in Abu Dhabi. That must have been very interesting. He helped set up a driver management company for Crown Talent and Media Group and managed drivers including Max Chilton, Jamie Chadwick, Ollie Webb, Strawn Moore, and many others. He's the host of Motormouth Podcast. I love the name of that. Very cool. Where he interviewed multitude of race car drivers and is also the OMG MotoGP Podcast. He's a busy guy. Hosted by former Superbike racer Keith Hewen. Tim's also the podcast host for the Race Aramco F1 Focus Podcast. You do a lot of talking, my friend. So we're going to learn a lot more about you in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. So please give them a little love. They keep the petrol in the tanks here. And we'll be right back. Buckle up. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up. 
way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand-mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, and their goal is is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. So, Tim, you are a busy guy, my friend, on the mic. And I also understand you've got three kids and dogs and cats, and you've got a very full life. Can we go back in time a little bit of how this all began, how you got into this career path that you have? Yeah, well, it goes back to around 2005 and or just before then, really. So I played or I still play a little bit, but back then I played a lot of cricket. And I know sport is quite, quite alien to, to the people in North America. <laughs> a little bit, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes on for five days sometimes, which bamboozles some people. But yeah, I played cricket and um, I was at that stage of my life where I didn't really know where I was going, what I was going to do with my career. I had no big plans or aspirations and not academic at all. But a guy I played cricket with, a guy called Jonathan Badansky, who owned a sponsorship company, a sports sponsorship company called BSL, uh, Badansky Sponsorship Limited. He he offered me, probably out of pity, a three-month <laughs> internship to come and just have a go and see if I enjoyed the business. Um, so I was like, yeah, I might as well because I, I, I'm not doing much else. I was doing some recruitment stuff at the time and a bit lost just drifting through life. And I realized quite quickly that I enjoyed it. And three months turned 
turned into six and six months uh, after sort of probation periods finished and things like that, I stayed um, for about six years and, and left as a shareholder and director. And, and it kind of went on from there. But it, it was purely by accident and luck. Well, cool. You know, I'll tell you, my son was recently married on New Year's Eve uh, at the end of 2022, and he married a beautiful young woman from Mumbai, India. And we went back to India for 18 days. Uh, If you've ever been to an Indian wedding, they know how to party. That's for sure. Uh, But he's gotten into cricket because, of course, his new wife and their family are really into cricket. And while we were there, we saw some big cricket fields. And I learned a little bit more about the sport. Quite a fascinating sport. And and now I, I think I might start to get hooked a little bit, which is kind of cool. The the trick is finding games to watch, but not too much of that here. But going back to this sponsorship thing that pulled you into what you're doing, when you say that, is that a company that goes out and finds connections between teams and sponsorships? Is that the primary role there? Yeah, there's there's two parts to it. That's one part of it. So they'll they'll try and broker deals between a brand and a rights holder. A rights holder being the the Formula One team or the Formula E team or you know NASCAR, IndyCar, whatever it might be, and connecting those dots and benefiting from the commission that that brings. And then once you've done that, it's then they call it activating that sponsorship. So you know if you take um, I don't know Epsom and the the guys that make printers, they sponsor um, Mercedes, and it's then how you get a load of assets back, and Epsom then say to people like us, right, we've got all these assets like driver time with Lewis Hamilton or tickets or access to the factory. How do we turn that into useful marketing content? And then that's the relationship that you you have. Obviously, a huge part of racing. I mean, you see it in. Yeah. When you watch racing in other countries, specifically F1, many times I'll see brands on the side of a car and I go, what is that? And yeah. then you look it up and figure it out. But a huge part because racing so expensive. Have you always been into cars? Is that something that's been a passion for you? No, not really. I mean, it, it, it sort of came with the territory when I started working in, in motorsport. I never had really a passion for motorsport. I mean, I used to watch Formula One on a Sunday afternoon with my parents when I was a kid, but it wasn't really until I started working in it that I, I developed an interest in motorsport. And now I have a deep passion for motorsport, but very much from a sort of commercial and business perspective, more so than the automotive side, but which I still love, but it's it's that business side of it, which really, really gets me going. And, and that having that, an interest in motorsport, I suppose, led to having an interest in cars. I, I'm useless at engineering, like I wouldn't know how to fix a car, but I certainly appreciate what they are and what they do. Oh, absolutely. And of course, motor racing is big business. It has to be because it's so expensive to do. Motor mouth, though, this is something that evolved out of this career path and has led you to doing a podcast, overseeing podcasts for other people. It sounds like you're very busy with that side of your business. So Motormouth came about because I actually thought of it probably five years ago now. I, I attend a lot of motorsport and, and automotive conferences. And um, one of the key things that kept popping up at these conferences was a lack of digital interaction between fans of racing and uh, and the sports themselves. So particularly in Formula One, I mean, Bernie Eccleston, who used to run Formula One, you know, there was no social media. There, was, there wasn't even a marketing team. It was just him. So I was trying to think of ways that can engage fans better. And, you know, obviously, since I had this first idea, everyone's doing it, you know, Drive to Survive and the race media, all these all these big corporations doing things to engage with fans. But, yeah, it, it st- started from that. And then eventually I acted upon it and created a website and an app that has news and live race timings for IndyCar and F1 and Formula E and Formula 2 and, and kept going with that. And then thought with the boom in podcasting, which is much bigger in the States than it is here, but it's really starting to grow here. 
I thought let's start a, po- a podcast, the Motormouth podcast, to promote the app and the the website, motormouth.club, and and our app, which is you know you can download from from everywhere. And we did that, and the, the podcast quickly became the main thing and the main revenue driver. And then we built a, uh, we started doing um, celebrity go kart events for charity, and now we have sort of web app podcasts and events forming Motormouth uh, as a whole entity. But the podcast is very much front and center. And now we've launched a MotoGP one which is the second one on our Motormouth network. And we're going to do some electric mobility ones. And uh, we might even do an IndyCar one and, and a few others that are going to come onto the network as well. Wow. Very cool. So you've embraced this and went running with it, with the ball. Yeah. Uh, to cite another sport over here, that football. I know we call it the wrong thing over here, but uh, it's okay. you know yeah. what I'm talking about. So on your shows, do you interview drivers? Do you interview people in the industry? How does your, your podcast work? Yeah, it's drivers. So we've we've had Formula One drivers um, like Nico Rosberg. I think he was 2016 world champion. We've had modern drivers like Alex Albon, who, who's currently driving on the F1 grid. And we've had team bosses like Gunter Steiner and legends from the sport like Gerhard Berger and David Coulthard and, and Mark Webber, people like that. Broadcasters like Crofty, who does the main Sky Sports F1 feed. And some people from your part of the world. We've had Mario Andretti and we've had uh, Willie T. Ribs. Oh, who's yeah. got that. Yeah, we've had Willie, who was hilarious he's good yeah he's been a guest on my show too he was a great find yeah great i mean he's completely mad he's <laughs> totally but it was re- we had a really fun interview with him so it's people like that and then pioneers and, and thought leaders and anyone that's got a story to tell um in motorsport not just formula one um we tend to have on yeah very cool what is it you like the most about doing your podcast i know for me it's about getting deep into people's lives i have famous people but i have an awful lot of people that are regular joes uh and women that do things in the motorsports world but i like to dig deep into their how they like what i'm doing with you how they got into their careers and what they're doing what is it about this venue that you like so much I think it's probably a similar thing. It's it's going beyond what people know. I think podcasts, by their very nature, feel quite disarming. Like you feel like it's a one-on-one conversation, and you end up just saying stuff. And you know, even when we had Nico Rosberg on, who's quite a close character, when when he you know wasn't so much in the media, he he was very open and honest, and he became. He, he told us things that were surprising about his confidence and his battle with Lewis Hamilton and feeling of like imposter syndrome almost and stuff that you haven't really heard people like him say before or finding out about. We had this, this racing driver who was transgender who'd been through the change and t- turned out she she was a better driver as a woman than she was as a, as a boy because of the, the the lack of testosterone. That had all gone. It's now estrogen and she's calm and collected behind the wheel. Interesting, and interesting. Know, so yeah. So it's, it's yeah, uh, diving deep into people's um, brains, I find really fascinating and getting getting under the skin and disarming them and, and learning what you don't usually hear, I think is enjoyable. And just the variety of people, as I'm sure you're, you're very used to, you know, you're, you're way ahead of us in terms of episodes. It's amazing what you've, you've achieved. And, and all those different people have their own unique stories. It's just fascinating. Yeah, sometimes I've had guests on that I had no idea we were going to go down paths we ended up going down. And some of them are just gut-wrenching. I had a guest yeah. on that talked about when she was ready to go take her own life. And wow. she was very well known and her father's very well known. And I think it was the first time she had openly talked about it. I had no idea she was going to go down that path. Mm-hmm. I'm like, whoa. And you, sometimes you just sit back and be quiet and let them go, right? It's like yeah. fishing, you know, let the line yeah. run a bit. And it turns out to be some of the shows that you get the most reaction from people, which is was really cool. What would you say has been in your career path a your biggest inspiration? Has it been other individuals or has it been things you've learned along the way? 
it's not necessarily, I, I've never had uh, heroes or idols or, you know, I've never had a mentor, although I've, I've often wanted one. So, and, and my parents, while they've been, you know, great and supportive, they're, they're not business people. They don't, you know, they don't understand that world at all. So I've never really had people to lean on, but my biggest inspiration, I suppose, has been mistakes. And, um, that, that's, that's how I've sort of got through. I've made loads of mistakes over the years, but tried to learn from them. And those are, I guess, what inspires me because without those mistakes, you know, I'm not going to move on to the next thing or, or learn from what I've done and improve. Um, so that's where I get my, my mojo from, I suppose it's, it's my own stupid mistakes <laughs> that I take and learn from and, tr- and try and better myself in the future. Well, good. And that's a nice segue to the next question, which you know is coming. And that is, I want you to share a big challenge. I like to call them challenges versus mistakes. And what you learn from it is the really important part of this, because a lot of people listening, they listen to this part of Cars Yeah, and they go, yeah, I had to deal with that, or I'm dealing with it. How do I get past it? And for those of us who've had many challenges, I I could probably be your father age-wise. You know, I've certainly had my share. But when you look back, you go, well, I'm kind of glad I had to have that pain because it taught me something really valuable, not only so I don't do that again, right? But also I can share it with others so they realize, you know what, you're going to be okay. I think I mean, for me, this is an easy one because it's stuck in my mind. The biggest challenge I've had in my career to date, but also the one that fast tracked me, I suppose, was between 2009 and 2012, where I was in my mid 20s and went out to Abu Dhabi to um, Yasmina Circuit, which, which for those that don't know, is, is a Formula One circuit, purpose built Formula One track in the desert in Abu Dhabi. And um, I was sent out there by the company I was working for at the time to be part of the venue management team, which is a, a team which is designed to basically build the infrastructure of the track and you know get the circuit up to FIA standards so that it can host an F1 track. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I was thrown to the wolves with Richard Cregan as my boss, who was the former team boss at the Toyota F1 team in uh, before he went on to this sort of thing. So he, he was the CEO. I was dealing with shakes and shakers and um, I had Richard Krieg in there. I had several other very high profile motorsport people who were ec- real experts and I knew nothing. And it was one of those situations where you think this will be fine. It'll be fine. And I turn up on my first day and it's a desert. There's dust everywhere. It's 45 degrees. I don't know anybody. I'm in a crappy hotel. I don't know what I'm doing there. Thousands of miles from home, just feeling extremely alone. And I remember getting in a car, like a Jeep, going to the venue for the first time, getting into a bus across the sand dunes and stuff to go to the circuit. And Richard Cregan and everyone sitting around a table and just going, okay, Tim, what's the plan? And I was like... (laughs) I don't know. And, <laughs> yeah. and having to sort of blag it and panic and, you know, blind panic, just yeah. thinking, I don't, I don't know how to deal with this situation. I've never been put in this situation before. And it was awful. And it was for six months, it was the worst six months of my life. Like I genuinely, genuinely hated it. I felt completely alone and unsupported. And, uh, and it's one of those where you either sink or swim. And I, I sort of tried to swim and, and eventually got to grips with it. But, it, you know, it took a lot of sniggering a lot of being you know laughed out of doors you know get out of here you know don't know what you're doing you know to, to try and figure it figure it out it's all new to me and you know working with people who've been at this for 30 years I, I ended up staying there for three years and thoroughly enjoyed it and and now when i look back i think um what a valuable experience it was to work with such experienced people hard people you know a lot of them are ex-military in that kind of world where you're you know 
a lot of logistical and operations stuff. There's a lot of ex-Marines and consultants and tough people who just don't take any crap from you. You know, they, they just want the job done. Um, so I had to learn quickly and it was awful. I mean, I stayed in some bad places. I, you know, I was staying in huts with brown water and cockroaches on site. I was, you know, no sleep and I lost a lot of weight and it was super stressful, but it was the making of me completely as an individual and hardened me up and made me think, well, I can, if I can do this, I can get through most things. Um, and I look back at that now and I'm friends now with a lot of the people I worked there with who pulled me up through the, the, you know, the doldrums of basically depression and uh, got me through it. And we delivered Formula One races um, for three years and did a, a, a great job. And I'm thankful for that experience. Wow. To use a great analogy, thrown into the quicksand yeah, uh, pretty time. quick. So so the story out of this, of course, is how do you get through that? Because that's a huge deal. And not only walking into an, a physical environment you're not used to, a business environment you're not used to, and people that are pretty tough, obviously. So for those listening that might be in a similar situation, I mean, it, the term fake it till you make it, of course, has been created for all of us. And I've always kind of laughed at that a little bit. OK, I kind of get the idea, but you still got to do the thing. And that's a serious deal, setting up an F1 facility in the middle of the desert. How would you advise somebody to deal with that? I mean, are you just honest with people and say, look, I need help with this. How can you help me? Is, is that the best way through it? Yeah, it was an element of reaching out. But a lot of these people didn't really want to help because they was it was all so frantic. You know, we were all working long, long hours and everyone was tired and stressed, even the people that had done this sort of stuff for years. It was hard, really hard. I mean, to put it in perspective, the day before the, the race weekend, we were still spraying um, the sand green to make it look like grass on TV because we didn't want it to look a mess. You know, it was right <laughs> up until the, the wow. last second. Um, <laughs> and um you know, p people died making that racetrack. I mean, it was brutal. And, and the, the way that it was built was was pretty hardcore. You know, we had a lot of, um, you know, migrants and, and, and uh, an immigrant, well, immigrants from from certain countries that were not treated especially well. Um, and, you know, some of it was quite tough to see, but you had to just get on with it. I mean, for me, I wasn't very good at asking for help. You know, I was quite a shy kid, although I was hardworking, but I did come out of myself at that time. But it was, I just knuckled down and worked hard, really, really hard, tried to work harder than everyone else, found one or two allies. You know, we, we got together and, you know, similar people my age and we found a way around it. But it, it was a lot of mental gymnastics to think I've just got to stick with this. It will get easier. It will get easier. And and try and absorb and, and observe and eventually you know, I, I caught up and I overtook a lot of people and I, it was just through sheer grit and determination more than anything else. And, 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 and a little bit of I'll show you because it, at the beginning it was a bit I did feel like they're laughing at me here. Like I need this needs to get sorted out. So sort of, yeah, sheer determination to make it make it work and and trying to find some allies that I could get on my side to help help me out and grow together, which which we did. And, and we became quite you know integral to the whole thing after a few years. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that had to be tough. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So I like to play a couple car games here with my guests because we are cars, yeah. Uh, one, of course, is a special vehicle story in your life. Now, you said you weren't really a car guy before now, but everybody has a special vehicle story of some kind. Maybe it's a car you got to jump in and take some laps on a track, or maybe it was your first car. What's that special vehicle for you? 
Uh, well, my first car was, I'd be interested to hear, see if you've heard of one of these. It was a Subaru Vivio. Have you heard of one of them? You know, I don't know that I've heard of the car, but I don't think it was ever imported over here. Uh, there's a lot of cars that you guys get over there in Europe that we don't ever see. Some of them are very cool and some of them are rather unique. Yeah, well, it was unique. It was it was uh, a 600cc Subaru, tiny little car with a five-speed gearbox with a little button on top of the the steering um, on top of the gear stick to stick it in four-wheel drive. I don't know why I needed that. And and it was very, very slow, but a lot of fun. I went from that to a Citroen AX, which had a four-speed box. It was, like, it was like a boat. It was only a little thing, but terrible suspension. Well, Citrons are like driving on a cloud. They're very bizarre. Yeah, that's exactly right. But so they, those were my first couple of cars. But my two favorite cars that stick in my mind is the first sort of quick car I got, which was uh, a Renault Clio Sport 172 which was just the, the, a brilliant little hot hatch, which, you know, in your early 20s or late teens, is just a, a, an absolute liability to drive. And, you know, <laughs> it just, complete chaos around the streets of London. And then fast forward a few years, the one that really, really I enjoyed that I've owned was a Honda S2000, which to the uneducated was a hairdresser's car. You know, it's like, what is that? You know, what are you driving? <laughs> like, it's, it looks ridiculous. But motorsport enthusiasts, it's a great car. And now I wish I'd kept it because you see them every now and again. You think, wow, that's a cool car. What is that? And had, a, you know, that amazing VTEC engine. Um, it revved to ridiculous degrees, brilliant gearbox. I spun it constantly. It was, a you know, <laughs> we had a sort of love-hate relationship and I spun it and crashed it the night before I was going to sell it and put a hairline fracture all, almost the whole width of the car along the, the bottom of it uh -oh. um but um but that that was the car that made me think oh, i'm enjoying speed that was probably the most fun i've had out of the cars that, that i've owned and and then you know driven um i've had some fun in some track cars and some single seater cars i've driven an f3000 car um around the track here which is a lot of fun but and lucky enough to be taken around it was the hockenheim ring with oh. i think it was lucas degrassi i think years ago and it was in a it was in a uh, renault megane sport so one up from my clio sport car and that's when i realized what cars were capable of because when you're a passenger and you've got a formula one driver or a future formula one driver at that point you know driving you around a, an f1 circuit you realize the capability of the brakes and the the throttle and how hard you can push a car before it breaks. It's a, I had no idea what cars were capable of until I went through that experience. Yeah, you get on a track and, uh, you know, I just came back uh, not too long ago from uh, the historic races at Laguna Seca. And last year I was there and Jensen Button was there along with Ant Anstead and some others with a new car they developed and they were giving people laps. There was also drivers like Lynn St. James there and you could jump in these different cars. It was a private party in the evening. And yeah, and I used to race finished cars. So I'm used to going fast. I got my my racing license at that track but you get in a car with somebody who knows what they're doing like button and you just go oh my <laughs> you know? oh yeah yeah and they're just over there talking to you and you're like going slow down please yeah, yeah. well when i when i did the f3000 car um is there a place called bedford uh, uh yeah bedford autodrome um which is in the uk here and it's it's run by andy palmer um and he it's an amazing facility they it's one of those places where they make you put your foot down and like you know go for it you drive an atom a caterham um an M4 Cup car, um, the Formula 3000, Mini Le Mans prototype cars, nice. uh, all sorts. And Max Chilton, who was an F1 driver at the time, he I was with him. He obviously went on to IndyCar. And I was like, right, I'm just going to follow Max. And I did exactly what Max was doing. I was hitting the curbs the same. I was turning in the same. I was following him. And he just disappeared. Of course. You know, yeah. It's just like, what have these guys got that is in them that just makes them that quick? I just don't get it. They've got seat time. That's what they've got. Yeah. yeah. And lots of, lots of them. I mean, just long developed talent, you know? 
just that's what it's all about. You got to drive a lot. So I'm going to crawl into your head. I've got a little bit of a, a car psychology degree here hanging on the wall somewhere. I, I made it myself in Photoshop, so don't tell anybody. Uh, if you were <laughs> reincarnated, if you were manifest as a vehicle, this is got to dig deep. Not what you want to be. That's too easy. Everyone wants to be a Formula One car. What would you be? But more importantly, why? So, OK, I did think about this one. So I've gone for a Alfa Romeo of any type. And, and the reason being that um, I operate quite quickly. Like my life is hectic. I go fast. Like I, everything I do, I do quickly. Mm-hmm. I work quickly. I, you know, I move around fast. But then something goes wrong. Like I said earlier, I'm, I, things go wrong with me. <laughs> an like alpha, I, yeah. <laughs> an, alpha, an alpha goes wrong. You know, it goes really quickly. You love it. You're thinking, this is great. Everything's going fantastically well. And then bang, and it stops working. Um, you patch it up. You go again. So that, that, is, that is my life. You know, I, I go along at 100 miles an hour. Something breaks. It falls off. I make my error. I learn from it. I change tack. And I patch up and go again. I, go. I thought that the, the best car to, to compare that with is, is an Alfa Romeo because of that. Exactly. I could, probably could have gone with a TVR maybe as well. Same <laughs> yeah, sort of. maybe so. <laughs> yeah. Jensen but, Interceptor. But yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's a couple there. there. I'm not going to pick on you guys and your cars over there because... You can. It's fine. Well, it's the, it's the British car that started it for me. My father had an MGTC, a 49, when I was just five years old. That's what did it for me started the whole thing but uh yeah alphas are just love hate you know it's like dating yeah. a supermodel i mean oh you're so pretty oh you're such a pain in the rear uh, you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly how about great reading i love to share books here on cars yeah is there a great book you could share with us so not a big reader i mean i've, I've never been a reader i'm not an academic person you know I, I benefit from soft skills and that's about it that's sort of what i've built my career on but um but i so I don't read purely because I, again, I, I don't have the patience for it. I, I, I would love to, um, I read a page and my mind starts going off in a, another direction and, and that's it. I'm gone. But, um, but I'm very visual and very audio driven. So I can listen to, I listen to podcasts constantly. I walk about, um, seven to 10 miles a day and, wow. and I, and I listen to podcasts all the way. And, um, so I can recommend, some podcasts. Yeah, um, please do. And and one of them is from your part of the world. It's um, one called the Part Fermi podcast, which is by Todd McCandless. And like you, they've done many hundreds of not not quite as they're not in the thousands yet, but they're not far off. I think they're probably in the high hundreds, nearing a thousand po- um, shows. And it's my favorite F1 podcast out of all of the, the, them that are out there. Um, there's many, many um, Formula One podcasts flying around. And Part Fermi F1 podcast is is by far my favorite. I think it's fantastic. And then, you know, the Race F1 podcast, which, you know, I do some work with, is a very reputable um, journalist like Ed Straw um, and and others who who do a fantastic job over there. And then non-car related, um, my favorite, again, America, I should be in America. It's um, How I Built This by Guy Raz, which oh, yeah. is fascinating. He, he does some some brilliant shows and sometimes he covers um, car things as well. Um, so those those are my my go-tos, I guess. Oh, great. They're all great podcasts. Yeah, when I started this, started this about 10 years ago and I would call people to be on my show and they'd go, what's a podcast? Yeah. And quite honestly, my son gave me the idea to start this podcast. And I said, what's a podcast? And he's like, dad, get with the times. Like I've never heard of one. And it's amazing over the last, well, nine and a half years, technically, since I started Cars Yeah, how many podcasts there are in, in the massive variety 
of different venues. I have a friend whose wife is into chicken. <laughs> you know, she, she races, she listens to the chicken lady, you know, the chicken lady podcast and learns a lot. So it's really become a wonderful venue uh, as you've learned and I've learned to reach out to people in different uh, niches. So let's go on the ultimate drive. Uh, before I let you go, I'm a bit of an enabler. I'm going to put you in any car. I'm going to park it in your driveway. You Jerry, you can do whatever you want with it. You can take it anywhere. But here's the fun part. Since you're into talking with people like I am, anybody can be with you. And if you want a few people, that's too. It could even be people who are no longer with us from the past. So what does the ultimate drive look like for a guy like you? So one of them is someone who's no longer with us. The first one would be Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's a scientist, professor. Um, he talks about the universe. He's very wise. Again, American. I don't know where I'm going with this American thing. <laughs> well, you got and a few smart people over here. <laughs> you do. Um, and yeah, I find him fascinating. I love the, um, the universe. I love the conspiracy theories around it. You know, I love exploring the idea that you know, the world is a simulation or, you know, <laughs> how far away the, the planets like are. It's like men in black, the little marble in the cat's necklace. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That, that goes through my head all the time. Or, you know, there's a lot of stuff at the moment about, you know, are, there, are, are the aliens already here? And right. you sort of, you, you start to, to think, oh, perhaps they are. And then you think to yourself, well, if they've traveled, you know, billions of miles across the galaxy, how come they keep crashing at the last minute into the earth? You know, all this, it's, it's, it makes me wonder. A little, um, little confusing. <laughs> a little confusing. The other one from a motorsport related or automotive standpoint would be Mike Hawthorne, the 1958 Formula One oh, world yeah. champion, a, yeah. a British British Formula One driver um, from back in the day who was hugely charismatic. My uncle was a racing driver, Peter Harper, drove a Sunbeam in the um, in, in various races. And, and he he often spoke of Mike Hawthorne and, and he just sounded like such a, a fascinating character, you know, a playboy of the time. Um, and he, he passed away three months after he retired from racing in a road accident near where I grew up in a place called Guildford. And uh, but he, he was a huge personality, really fascinating, fascinating um, a period of racing with, you know, huge amounts of danger, no safety whatsoever. Um, you know, proper, hardcore, brave racing driver. So it would be probably those two that, that I would uh, I would sp like to spend some time with. Well, considering you've got two people, that means perhaps maybe a more of um, more of a touring car, something a little quieter, so you could hear each other on you know, like a, a nice Bentley, a Rolls Royce, or yeah. I, I, I mean, I'd take a Rolls Royce, a hundred percent. If you want to drop a Rolls Royce off, I'll take it, and we can cruise along. I mean, the the car that that would have suited Mike would be his nineteen fifty nine Jaguar three point four Mark One. I. I mean, it, that a classic classic car that he would have loved driving. I'd have let him take the wheel and just listen to him spin a yarn about you know the good old days in racing. You know, years ago, uh, Rolls Royce did a special deal with the company I was part of, and they gave me a Rolls Royce for the weekend, brand new and to drive, big four door. And I never been into big cars. I like small German sports cars, Porsche, BMW. I've always had 911s. And I drove it home, and I got to tell you, everybody in the neighborhood came down. I was giving people rides. The great Poupon jokes were flowing all over the place. And I drove that car back to work Monday morning, and I actually got pulled over by a local police officer. It turns out to be a guy that I knew. He did it for fun. Uh, because <laughs> he, he had, you know, he said, I saw you in that car. I'm like, what is Mark doing in a Rolls Royce? I'll tell you, you feel pretty special driving a yeah. Rolls Royce. It's, yeah. uh, yeah, the thing was so big, it barely fit in my garage. I had to put it in an angle because it was just, they're, you know, so they're long. special. I mean, amazing cars. I mean, you're a, Por you're a Porsche man. So my, my only experience of Porsche is, I, I went out to at Hockenheim. They've got a Porsche Experience Center. Yep. And it was my first time driving a Porsche. So we went out in a, in a 911 and then in the new electric one. 
Oh, the take-in, yeah. Yeah, and it made me realize how much we're all going to miss ICE engines because it, it just, it, you go, I mean, the, the electric one was quick. No noise, obviously. It was fast and you could hear different things. You could hear the tires screeching and you could hear the brakes doing their thing. But the visceral experience I had driving the 911 was just, and it wasn't as quick, but it just blew it out of the water as as an experience and a and a moment. And I got out of the 911 with goosebumps, and because they really let us go for it. And um and the electric one, while it's still a sports car, just and I get, don't get me wrong, I understand the way the world's going, and I I I work in Formula E. I I'm fully embraced. I've got an electric car. I own an electric car. But it was nothing like driving that 911 and and experiencing that cockpit for the first time and how connected with the road you feel. So I, tot- I totally get, and I'm on board with the uh, the Porsche thing. Was that a newer Porsche? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. see, what we yeah. got to do is uh, you got to come visit. We'll put you in an older Porsche, like a 2.7, 2.2, 2.4 long hood car. Or better yet, uh, a fellow Brit, Rob Dickinson, a founder of Singer, put you in one of his cars. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and it, yeah, I know I'm having a hard time with it too. Sometimes I think oh, I'm an old guy. I like ice engines. I can't, you know, but there's something about that sound or a small block V8, get in a, yeah. you know, a Sunoco Camaro on the yeah. racetrack. You know? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, even Formula One now, when I started in Formula One racing, the noise was vast. I mean, it shook you. Um, oh, it made your ears bleed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, you, you with the these v, little V6 uh, turbos, hybrid engines, you know, that they're, they're just, I mean, you can have a conversation pretty much next to the track. It's just lost so much of that magic. Um, but now that's, you know, that's happened for, you know, quite a long time now. And the, the new fans that have come to the sport through things like Drive to Survive on Netflix, they'd never knew, never experienced, and never will experience that level of noise, unless they go to a historic or classic car yeah. event, yeah. Um, which is a real shame. And Formula E, whilst again, I see the benefits of it, it's very strange being at a racetrack with those cars. And while the acceleration is is otherworldly, it is a weird experience hearing this sort of high-pitched whine rather than the, the roaring sound of a, of a V8. Yeah, or a Ferrari V10 uh, F1 yeah. car. I mean, those cars, oh. the, the ripping canvas sound that they made was just uh, sublime. First time I, vis- I saw an F1 race over here was at um, the racetrack they had at the Indy 500, and sitting in those stands, the coverage stands, and watching yeah. the Michael Schumacher go by, Alonso, I mean, all these guys driving these insane cars. Yeah, you just like, oh my gosh, yeah. It's like uh, it's the first time going to a drag race. People go. Well, yeah, I was about to say. I, I one of the things we did at Yas Marina Circuit in Abu Dhabi. There was a, we we had a, a drag strip there. Oh, and cool. um, and we had uh, there's a guy called Hot Rod, American guy, came over to consult with us to mm-hmm. teach us about drag racing. It's okay. called Hot Rod something. I can't remember his name. Nice guy, and he set it all up. And we had these top fuel dragsters come in and and the noise they I mean, they surpassed the F1 sound noise. It ridiculous. But I didn't know that your eyes like the burn. That's oh, like yeah. poison. I, I was crying with pain in my eyes and then the ringing in my ears. Yeah. But those things are incredible. Amazing. Yeah. They'll wake you up. Well, you've taken us on a wonderful trip today. And I'm so glad that we connected. I always like to talk with fellow podcasters. You got, you're just so deep into this. It's spectacular. Before I let you go, could you share maybe a parting word of inspiration or a success quote of some kind with us? Yeah. So I guess it kind of falls in line with, with what I was saying earlier about sort of, you know, learning from my mistakes and, you know, trying to, to grow and get better. So and it's, I can't claim it's one I've come up with myself. And again, it's come from an American. I listen to this when I'm in the gym, there's a, I listen to these sort of motivational 
podcasts yeah. and you know various people and, and one of them is this guy that basically screams at me you know it's like you know get off your ass you know <laughs> lift these things it just goes nuts but i kind of yeah. need that to motivate me in the gym but one of the things he said was um you you um you grow through what you go through and i know that's nothing groundbreaking it's a commonly used term um some people have heard it some don't but for me it really resonates because i am definitely one of those people that, that grows through experience um like I said, never had an academic bone in my body. So um, I go through a lot of different things. My, my work is wide and varied and um, I'm having to learn constantly. Like at the moment, we've just launched a brand new thing, which I've never done before. And I'm, and I'm learning as I go along and I'm learning as I, I'm growing as I go through these things. And I've, it's not until now, my sort of 42nd year that I feel like I've, I've grown enough to feel finally comfortable in my own skin and whether I'm doing a, a panel at a conference or you know, I'm talking to a, someone like you on a podcast or offering some guide to some people I mentor. I feel I finally feel I can do that with some justification because I've gone through enough. I've grown through enough and um, and, and I feel a much more complete person than now. So I think put yourself in as many situations and experiences as you can. Say yes to as much as you can. Be positive. Banish the negative and uh, and just embrace everything that life throws at you. Tim, you're doing a brilliant job. So well done. 40. Yeah, I'm trying to think back to when 40. When I hit 40. Holy cow. Seems like scary a long time ago. But uh, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the time in life you kind of get comfortable, like you said, in your own skin. So wonderful. How can people learn more about you and Motormouth? Just search for the Motormouth podcast on any podcast player. Um, search for the OMG MotoGP podcast, which is our new one. Um, have a look at the uh, at Motormouth Media. Um, you can find us on the App Store, uh, motormouth.club and the race media if you google that as well you'll see what we're up to with the race media and wtf1 talent which is a new formula one content creator agency we're building and uh, yeah tim sylvie on linkedin if people want to connect always happy to chat there we go tim thanks for being so generous today with your time your expertise and sharing what you're doing you are one busy guy awesome real proud of what you've done it's brilliant until you and i talk again i'll see you down the road thank you mark pleasure this was great Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.